Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited to bring you today's episode with Enneagram expert David Charpentier. David is a veteran and a friend of mine and we sat down and talked all about the Enneagram and what it means in life and how to relate to people and it was just so much fun. If you don't know anything about the Enneagram, this is a very basic overview. But like anything else, the deeper you go down the hole, the more and more you'll uncover. It is, uh, it's a tool, right? Like anything else, it's a tool. You don't want to treat it like the gospel because it's not, but it is something that's kind of fun and it was a, a great conversation. We use the Enneagram in our office and it has been super helpful to get to know people's motivations and how they see the world. So I think you're going to love this episode with David. He brings such a, a very sound and practical voice to this conversation. So also, this is the last episode of the month of January, which means that at the end of this month, we will be picking a winner of our contest. If you haven't signed up yet at twmilt.com, T-W-M-I-L-T.com, we would love to get you entered in to win one of the books of the incredible authors that we've had on the podcast this month. And really over the next couple months, because February 2, Josh Gagnon will be on, Charles Causey will be on, some incredible writers who are putting out great content. So sign up for the contest. Uh, we're going to pick one winner. Actually, we might pick a, several winners because we got several books to give away. We'd love to get a book into your hands. And who doesn't love free books? All right. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with David. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you uh, today's feature conversation with uh, a newfound friend of mine, David Charpentier. And uh, David does a lot of things. Hello, David. It's good to be with you today. Hey, Tony. It's good to be here. Thank you. So um, you have an interesting story. I thought maybe that would be a good place to start. Uh, you're, you're like me, an Army veteran, which thank you for your service. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, how, how did you um, get to where you are in life in the Reader's Digest version? I grew up in Minnesota. I enlisted in the Army Reserve. I graduated college uh, through ROTC, spent six years on active duty. I was a nuclear, biological, and chemical officer. I was incredibly fortunate to also be able to attend and graduate from U.S. Army Ranger School, Airborne School. Uh, when I completed my service, I moved to the Cincinnati area, uh, worked in sales and operations, because, you know, Army officers are in high demand when we get out because of our fabulous leadership skills. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, running joke with some friends of mine. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed doing the sales side of things and uh, met my wife. We both worked a lot, so I kind of backed off, mm. uh, did some part-time consulting, was a stay-at-home dad full-time, got certified to teach yoga, also became certified as an executive coach and as an Enneagram practitioner in the narrative tradition, which what is, is what I use today in a consulting practice to help uh, people, executives, organizations understand themselves better, uh, be better communicators, better leaders, be better at solving conflict, just be overall more self-aware. I'm also really grateful I've had an opportunity to do that with uh, camp Southern Ground, which is uh, Zach Brown Band's uh, camp oh, that wow. he established. Uh, it, he, uh, this is a little plug for for what he does, but he has a summer camp for kids of all ages and abilities. <clears throat> so it you know it welcomes kids with special needs 
and uh, normal functioning kids. And then they went, holy cow, we've got this incredible place. We use it like crazy in the summer. What do we do the rest of the time? So Zach now, the, the camp hosts veterans for one week intensive um, to help give them skills and assistance in transition, which you, you understand transition right. is not always easy for some of us. Uh, most times not easy. Most times not easy. It is. It's a significant transition. Anyway, I'm fortunate enough I'm able to coach uh, folks who have completed that program, and I'm also doing some coaching for an organization called Gallant Few, uh, which I, I love their their message. Their purpose is to help veterans live lives full of hope and purpose. I love it. And one of the things that instantly uh, drew me to you is that I, I believe that so many of us uh, are called to live our life with more purpose and more intentionality and figuring out ways to connect um, with some self-awareness. And that's one of the gifts, I think, about the Enneagram. Yeah. But one of the, one of the questions I have is, uh, for someone who may not have heard it before, how would you summarize what the Enneagram is? Because it, in, in Christian circles right now, it's taken off like yeah, wildfire. It's, <clears throat> it's hot. Yeah. It's so hot. So what is the Enneagram? at the, the, you know, the idiot level? Uh, the Enneagram is a personality system that has nine types. So Ennea is a Greek word for nine. Gram mm -hmm. is Greek word for picture. And it's, uh, it describes nine ways that we habitually think, feel, and behave and the motivations underneath those. So it helps us identify which one of these nine types we habitually think, feel, and behave. Now, my understanding is that this is not a new practice. It, it's just p become popular. How, how? What's the history of the Enneagram? Because I, I think it gives it a little bit more validity than some of the other uh, thought processes around this sort of thing. So the Enneagram has roots in ancient traditions um, and in really all ancient uh, uh, religious traditions, there's there's conversations around kind of this practice, but really in the 70s uh, in Chile in the Erica School, which was a, a spiritual school. Um, Claudia Naranjo um, essentially took and, and overlaid a, uh, the nine types and um, gave each type um, structure uh, that was brought back to the United States in, in the 70s in Stanford circles. Um, with individuals like Dr. David Daniels and Helen Palmer, uh, Russ Hudson, Dan Rizzo, who who really uh, are the you know kind of the grandfathers, so to speak, of this the, what is today the modern Enneagram, the nine distinct personality types. So I, I want to get into the nine distinct types in just a moment, but let me ask you this first: How has the Enneagram changed your life in terms of how you see yourself and how you operate with those that are are most important the the enneagram itself hasn't changed me a bit mm. right what the enneagram did is help me see my patterns wow and what my experience is when i see something and i know something then i can't unknow it and it's incumbent on Pete, uh, incumbent upon me to make the change. Um, it's just a tool to help us see. Yeah, so it's not a miracle tool. No, no, it's the, just a, another. We have to tool. work. Yeah, right. it's just another tool. A, a hammer 
is a great tool, but it only works if we use it. And so the Enneagram, no different. I can see it, but unless I do some actual work to make changes, it just sits there. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point because one of the uh, one of the kind of the knocks on this whole thing is that it's really easy to go down this Enneagram hole and get super deep. And uh, but it's just a tool. There are lots of tools lots out there. Of tools, yeah. And if to your hammer point, if the only tool you have is a hammer, the entire world starts to look like a nail. Yeah. And so I, what you, you're kind of holistic in the sense that this is just one of the tools. But yeah. it, but it is. I, I find it to be. It's a big one. It's a big one. It is robust and it's uh, it's nuanced. It has depth. It has breadth. Um, so I, I find it to be a really powerful tool. Uh, so maybe a hammer isn't the uh, the the tool I would analogy I would use, but it is. I find it to be. For me, it's been probably the most helpful tool to give me insight on who I am. Okay, take us through the numbers. Make us Enneagram smart. Okay. Uh, so, can I? I'm going to give a couple caveats. Yeah, ca- caveat away. This caveat is caveat away. It's, it's right. your world. Uh, we are incredibly complex uh, as as animals. We, there are so many things that go into who we are our history, our culture, our experiences, our traumas, our celebrations, all of those things shape, form, impact who we are. We have instinctual drives that have been a part of who we are as as beings for a long time. So if you think about um, how dogs interact in packs, we have that same social uh, drive, how we parent, how we create social bonds. We have... Um, drives that help ensure we maintain the species, right? We have right. sexual yeah, drives. We, have sex drive. right? Right, we, have, right, right. we have uh self-protection drives, drives that help ensure we have security, money, housing, um, just physical safety, security. All of those influence uh and come before personality if you think about um, those things. The other thing I would say as a caveat before we start is this isn't a parlor game, mm-hmm. right? So um when people learn about it, typically the first thing they want to do is figure out what somebody else's type is. <laughs> <laughs> and what I would say is figure out your own and don't identify as that. Don't say, oh, I'm a blank, so I do this. Say, this is the, the place that I spend my time. How do I recognize that, see it, and begin to make conscious choice rather than the habitual choice. Yeah. So in other words, uh, it's your number is not an excuse to be that for behavior. So, yes. so, I mean, I don't mind telling you, and I think we've talked about it before. I'm an eight. Yes. And, uh, and so part of that is that, uh, it, in the eight world, from my understanding is sometimes we can be uh, a little too brash for our own good. And, and that's a growing edge in my life. And I actually knew that before I would, I knew I was an sure. eight because people tell me that sometimes I'm a bully. Yeah. And yep. so, that, but I, I think your point is, is well taken that this is, again, it's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. Okay. All right. So, uh, I, I sometimes, it, let's just go by numbers. Okay. So, we'll start with type one. Yeah. Uh, it, it, some Enneagram teachers or many Enneagram teachers put uh, a word associated with a type. I think that can be helpful sometimes for memory recollection, but I don't want people to... Uh, attached too much to yeah, this. it's deeper than just a just word. Just a word, right? So type one sometimes is sometimes is called the perfectionist. Sure. Uh, type one 
has uh, kind of a gut instinctual um, approach to life. They have a really strong moral sense internal, a mm. really strong internal measuring stick by which they judge primarily themselves. Yeah. Uh, sometimes one will take that and try to place it on others, but really it's a strong internal um, stick by which they measure what is right and what is wrong. Anger is an underlying issue for type ones. They typically repress or suppress that anger. Uh, that builds, you can, uh, oftentimes ones will, they'll talk about when anger happens for them, they can feel it physically stiffen them. Mm. They'll sit up straighter, their jaw will be clenched. Um, but they keep that anger down typically because letting that out isn't okay. It's not right. Right, because it's not perfect. It, right, it, yeah, yeah, and I have, not, to, yeah. I have to manage that anger. So for ones, um, uh, I, another way ones will talk about themselves is that there's constantly a voice in their head. Mm. A lot of should, must, ought to, have to. I need, you know, I... I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Um, you know, I like to say, it's not okay to should on yourself. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. That's a it's a powerful driver for them, and that is omnipresent. <clears throat> Ones have they know how things are supposed to be done, <clears throat> and they they will work tirelessly to make that happen. Um, in the in the in a job arena. Uh, they don't need to be told they did something wrong. They typically already know. <clears throat> They've already done eight things to try to correct it, to minimize it. Uh, I like to use a, the analogy of like a bullhorn. Yeah. Um, for some types, uh, you talk through the small end of the bullhorn and it's really loud on the other end. If you can imagine a type one, uh, the slightest whisper sounds like that. Mm. So, hey, you know, this was maybe not done as well as it could have to the type one that sounds like you absolutely messed this up you're you are rotten and horrible i can't believe you made this egregious mistake so yeah, it, it gets amplified yeah. yeah it really gets amplified uh where ones are really powerful and really strong is they have that super strong internal character and they will do things right. They'll do right. And, you know, I'm doing air quotes. Right. I love those air quotes on podcasts, but it's, it's about doing it right. So they will, um, they will do things right to the best of their ability and uh, very strong in that stance. If you're in a relationship with a one or are a one, what's the one thing we can do to be better in that relationship? Uh, if you're in relationship with the one, remember that that amplification. Mm. So to give them feedback, uh, you have to really be gentle, really be gentle. For type ones, the the big area for them in life in relationship is to uh, understand that things are okay. It's okay. They're, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And it's easy for us to say that. For them, it's not. It's really sure. difficult for them to rest and relax and give themselves a break to um, be playful, to have some of that uh, 
spontaneity. Space. Yeah. Um, so it's it's important for them to to do that. All right. So then we head right to two. Right. Yeah. Type two. Type two. Mm-hmm. Is type two sometimes called the giver or the provider? Sure. Um, kind of an underlying belief for type two is um, I get value or I get love or I get my sense of worth by giving, meeting other people's needs. Mm. Uh, off and you can you know just. The, hmm. So you, we can recognize that 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 can be problematic for folks. That sure, um, I give too much of myself. I don't have my own sense of self, and I don't understand my own needs. Twos also are incredibly compassionate and really good at understanding other people's needs. They they. So they does kinda, it make sense that we would often see a two in the in the care like caretaking field like uh, nurses? They they certainly can be in that sure. space. Yeah, um, I know. Obviously, anybody can be any right. type, but yeah, they they like they, they like to take care of people. They yeah. like to take care of people's needs. Um, you know, I've talked to type twos in different arenas where I, I walk in and two will look at me and say, "What's going on?" What's wrong? <laughs> and they're like, hey, you know, leave, get out of my space. <laughs> and they're right. They have an, an, an intuitive sense. Where a two can get in trouble is if they project onto others and don't allow them to actually feel feel themselves what's going on. Uh, they can get prideful in that uh, and think they know what others need when they really have no idea what they need themselves. So... You know, you talk about it in a relationship. It's really important for two to to take time to pause, reflect, and know what it is they need, and not always be focused on what somebody else needs. It can be exhausting for twos because they're always wondering what other people need. What do I What do I need to take care of for somebody else? And they can get resentful then if people aren't doing that back for them. Well, I do all of this for you. How How come you're not taking care of me? Because most of us don't know what you need because you you're don't even know what you need. Because right, you're always taking care of us. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes, not sometimes, but, you know, we're, I'm giving some extremes. Sure. They're, they're, right, we're all on this beautiful scale of different um, levels of awareness of our what's happening for us or not happening for us. These are just things for a two you need to look out for. So when you, if you're in a relationship with a two... Um, what's the one gift that we can give them? Presence, hmm. time, <clears throat> uh, you know, say, what do you need? Just ask them straight up. What do you need? What do you need? And, and they're going to say, well, you know, may, I'm not going to say, this is what they will say. I've, I've asked that of twos. Well, I, you know, I just, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about what so-and-so or what, what needs to happen here. No. What do you need? Yeah, kind of lean into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm here to, you know, help meet your need. What do you need? And that's really di- it can be really it can be really difficult for a two to to know that. So just to sit, give them the space, keep coming back. What do you need? How can I be of service to you? Yeah, I, I like that. Be kind of relentless in the pursuit of getting to know the, yeah. the inner two, so to speak. Yeah. Good, good, good. Okay, so three. Type three, uh, sometimes known as the the doer. Yeah, I've yeah. heard it called, sometimes I've heard it called the performer. The performer, the achiever, uh, type threes. So twos, you know, it's kind of that, hey, I need to give to get. 
threes, it's I need to do, I need to accomplish to get. Um, twos, you know, we talk about twos pretty in tune with feelings of others. Yeah. Threes, they're just not in tune with feelings. They do to suppress feeling. Mm. Uh, I like to give an example. <clears throat> it was a hot July day. My wife and I are, uh, she says, <clears throat> hey, we need to go weed the garden. Okay. We walk outside and it's, you know, 86 degrees and 120% humidity. And I'm standing out there just sweating while we're digging weeds out of the, the garden. And I'm like, man, this sucks. And she stops and she's like, whoa, this does. My wife is identifies as type three. This does suck. I didn't even think about that. It was just on my to-do list. So I was just getting it done. No awareness of what she was feeling. So wow. threes typically are suppressing feelings by just doing. and uh, But they're incredibly competent. They, they're they uh, sometimes like workhorses, right? In your organization? Yeah, like if you've sure. got some threes in, yeah. in the... Image is a big thing yeah. for, for type threes to, uh, and they can morph and lose some of their identity uh, because they are morphing to the what the idea of success looks like. They, uh, Madonna, you know, the pop icon. Yeah. If you took and looked at Madonna through the years, which, you know, probably the last 40 years she's been or maybe 30 plus years, some type of pop icon. But if you just Google image her, you can see kind of what success looks like or what um, that can look like for her. Uh, another, you know, Michael Jordan, these these folks who sure, can be incredible. Yeah, yeah. Image is really important. So uh, it for threes, it's really important to be. Mm. And it's also really difficult to be. Because if they sit... Like, be still? Be still. Right. If, if When they do that, guess what comes up? They're feeling. Oh, they're, they're man, feelings, all this stuff. Right? And I then, feel uncomfortable <laughs> for them right now. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no, I got... You know, um, so the, the realization for them is to sit, let that stuff come up, and understand that they are not... Um, they are so much more than what they do. So then is the gift, if we're in a relationship with a three, is the gift... To just be with them in the stillness and not expect anything from them? Yeah, that can be. Uh, and encourage them, ask them to be with you. Now, does it work if you challenge a three to be still? Like, I mean, can you can you use their tendency? I, I mean, it feels a little bit like a manipulation, but... <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so... I think threes can can look at things at times as everything's a competition. Right. So, hey, well, I'm going to be the best beer I can be. And, right. You know, I'm going to watch me. I'm going to, you know. So um, just a recognition that that they are beautiful just for who uh-huh. they are, not what they've accomplished, not because they're the best this or the best that or the they're just, you know, all of us have in, yeah. right, an yeah. innate value. The, um, there's a, an Enneagram teacher, and I love how he has described this. If you think about a baby, if you're in a crowded room and somebody walks in holding a, a, you know, a three week old, Mm. the room stops and it's transfixed on this infant because we recognize the value of this person. Mm. Just right. Right Right. All of us have that. All of us have that value. And for threes to go, 
inherently I already have value. That's, and you know, I mean, as a, yeah. I'm not a type three, I'm a type seven, but I, even that, I hear that and go, yeah, but yeah, but if you, you know, so oh, all right. of us can struggle with that. Right. But so this can help us, you know, we talk about the Enneagram, it can help us find that path, that map back to really being okay inside our own skin. Let me ask you this question before we move on to fours. Um, because this has come up a lot in the people that I've been talking about this idea with, the, the Enneagram as the idea. Um, I, I identify as an eight, but my second number on, on the tests, and I used air quotes for tests because the Enneagram is really a lot more than a test. And so uh, it is a three. I, I often wonder if in a season of my life, if, if I didn't identify as a three and then move to an eight or is it a health and unhealth thing? What, what are your thoughts on changing numbers? Uh, my, my belief in, and predominantly in the Enneagram community, your type is your type. Yeah. If you, you, if you think about, uh, our personality as a map. Sure. Uh, our type is the city we live in. Mm. We know it. We know the back roads. We know the side streets. We know the major thoroughfares, all of those things. We may know routes or ways to get to other cities. Sure. And when we get to that city, we might know a few things in that city, but we don't know it like our home base. Mm. We don't know the side streets. We don't know all of the dark alleyways. We don't. So, uh, but we can get there. So, yeah, it's not right. We're all. you and I have explored on the faith side, but if you think about, I mean, from a, a Christian or Judeo-Christian standpoint, we're made in the image of God. Right. So we are not just one type. We have all of the types. I mean, the image of God is this whole beautiful piece. We have just chosen a coping egoic structure to help us survive humankind or humanness. The all the really to be one is what we we strive for. Yeah, and uh, so that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. I, I think one that's often missed is that it's it's the uh, the the wholeness idea was long, was here long before the enneagram yeah. was. You yeah, know, that, that we're made in the image of God and what that looks like. Good, good. Okay, four, four. Okay, four. Uh, four sometimes is known as the idealist, mm. the individualist. Uh, fours are uh, intense in the feeling realm, realm. and uh, fours don't want to conform to an image. They mm. want to be unique. There's a sense of longing, of being unique, of being a little, of being different. <clears throat> you know, one of the things sometimes people will joke about with fours in their attempt to be unique, they uh, they become like other fours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> however, so but fours have a really rich and deep feeling of emotion, and a lot of it's internal. It's an internal. So twos, the the feeling and emotion is kind of externally focused. Threes, it's a suppressed. Um, you know, I don't want to feel. Sure. Fours, it's an embrace of this feeling from the very depth to the very highest high. Because yeah, the highs are high and the lows, lows are, are low. low. Right. And uh, they can get attached to those feelings as reality, that that is reality, not <clears throat> not just a feeling, not just an emotion. So for fours to grow, it's 
oh yeah, I am feeling this and reality is blank or, you know, different than what the feeling might actually be. Uh, fours tend to be really creative. They have a beautiful creative depth because of that ability to experience the, the whole spectrum of feelings. Uh, and that can cycle through pretty quick. Yes, it can. Or the, and they can get stuck. Oh. Yeah. It can cycle through quick and they can get stuck. It can be, it can be difficult for a four to get out of bed. Oh. Oh, man. I have to get out. I got to <laughs> do something. I just want to feel. I want to be in this place. This, yeah. Uh, they, they can, when fours are able to maybe get outside of their own a little bit, their own feeling, they can be incredibly uh, beautiful to share space with somebody else. Mm. Share those experiences. Share those highs. Share those lows. Uh it really, that the work for the four in relationship is to experience the feeling, but not attach to it as what reality is. Uh, for partners, that can be challenging because they can get stuck in those feelings. So, if you're in a relationship with a four, what's the best thing we can do to help them um, live into that tension? Yeah, it, <clears throat> say, hey, I, you know, acknowledge the feeling, be there with them in the feeling, and say, hey, you know, are you do you recognize this? Are you ex- seeing any of this? They may not. I mean, so, difficult so for them. Saying stop being so dramatic is probably, that's probably no. That's not, probably not going to be a helpful thing. Yeah, but being but, there, there with them in the feeling can be really super powerful. Yeah, good. yeah, good, good, good. Okay, fives, fives, fives. Uh, what words do people use? The thinker mm. um, sometimes is used for the five. Uh, Fives are oftentimes in their head. Fives are are looking for security or looking for they they, they have a kind of a fear component. Okay. And fives look for security and knowledge. So I mean like a research something a thousand different ways yeah. to make sure that they're fully based in that they can't be surprised. Yes. In intellectual security is, is where they experience some balance like or some some feelings of control is when I know and I understand something. When you're uh, in a relationship with a five, how, how does that play out? Because it, it, it feels like they, they might have a hard time connecting on a heart level. They, they can very much so have a difficult time connecting uh, on a heart level. Uh, <clears throat> fives... So if I'm in a relationship with five, I need to give them space. Mm. I need to allow them to go. Uh, uh, my 17-year-old is a five, and uh, I have observed him. Uh, he'll we'll, we'll have an experience, uh, a shared experience as a family. And he will go and be by himself. And you can almost observe him going through that experience again. Him okay, wow, we were at the beach. And and he's replaying what was being at the beach like. So in his head, he's experiencing the physical. Wow, the sand was was really fine. The salt air, I could feel it on my skin. Mm. You know, so he's replaying and in having super this... Super detail, sounds like. Yes, yeah. and having this rich experience in their head. Um, 
So that's like a remembering. On the same token, if there's something that required is required of him, he can oftentimes think through it and not act on it because he's already done it in his head. <laughs> right? Okay, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so um, for them to show up and be present can be uh, uh, really difficult because they have this this concern or this feel that too much is going to be expected of me oh. and I'm not going to get enough of a return and I'm going to be spent. I'm going to be depleted yeah, from my energy. energy. They're conservers yeah. of energy. Now, you, you mentioned something about your teenager, which makes me wonder. I, I have a 13-year-old, almost 14-year-old. At what age can can um, can someone identify their their number? I know we're not supposed to type other people, so right, so it becomes a self-identification part of the process. Is is my 13, almost 14-year-old? Probably. I'm, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think, you know, 12, 13, 14, depending on maturity. You know, my my daughter is 11. She's getting pretty close. She's getting pretty close. Now, do you, mm -hmm. uh, as somebody who's in this world all the time, do you already kind of have an idea what? Yeah, I have an idea, at? but I'm not gonna. I don't. I do not speak it out loud. My wife and I talk about it. Sure. And we discuss. Well, you know, but we say we want her to figure out her. Man, I'm. Space. I'm we're in a podcasting booth right now, and I just feel the need to confess that I, I type people all the time. Yeah. I, I'm so sorry. I, I know it's not, I know we're not supposed to, but it's just like, yeah. I know what you are, even yeah. if you don't know what you are. I, I do uh, it as well. I, I but, And that's not bad, because, right? If we understand our own inner landscape, yeah. if we understand how we, uh, like, I can be uncomfortable in conflict. A hallmark of seven is an avoidance of pain, right? And, and conflict can feel like pain um so i can avoid po conflict shy away from it uh i know you're sitting over there going what huh why not man conflict is nothing wrong with that it's not like you seek it out right but it it, it does nothing there's no it's, fear of it for it's you. a necessary part of life so for me to stand to recognize that and go oh this this is a tense situation and i can feel myself like physically trying to withdraw I can stand into it because I recognize myself. And I don't necessarily have to say, oh, Tony's a type eight, I need to blah, blah, blah. I can just rec sense and recognize what's happening for me mm. and maybe lean in a little bit in those spaces because I'm, I'm aware of myself. Sure. I mean, I, that's what it boils down to. Ha understanding somebody else's Enneagram type for sure can help the two of you, especially if you're both aware of your patterns of thinking, feeling, yeah. behaving, be able to say, oh, no, with, with my wife, man, I, I, I recognize here I felt constricted. I felt pain. And so that then I started doing these things because that's my habitual pattern. That it become can be a powerful tool it, in, it's in a, communication. I mean, it's been a tremendous gift for our marriage. Mine and Karen's is um, she's as she's dove deeper into her number, there are parts of it that I wouldn't have guessed that have come out that have been great talking points for us as we, as we kind of jump into that. So yeah. brings good. awareness, brings awareness. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. Six, six, wait, let's go back real quick for fives. It's yeah. really oh. important for fives to, to understand they have way more power than they might think. Oh, both to be engaged intellectually, emotionally, they, they can do that and they won't get depleted. It's not that they still won't need probably more alone time, more time to Recovering process, time, time, yeah. but, but 
it's okay to engage. People people will respect that. It's the old G.I. Joe saying. Knowing is half the battle. Yeah. Chances are good. Fives are going to know. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. No, that's really helpful. Sixes. Uh, sixes. Uh, sometimes they're called the loyal skeptic. Mm. Uh, so we talked about ones having this constant play in their head. I should. I need to. I can do this better. But, you know, but sixes have a similar thing going on in their head. Um, but they question everything. Uh, they question people's motives. They question their own motives. They question why this happens. Uh, so there's a constant questioning. Um, they can have a difficult time finding that an inner strength that says, it, you know, this is the way. So uh, I have a friend, he's a type six. He wanted to buy a house. It took him eight years. Oh, wow. Eight years. And he found the right house, but he would go to a house and, oh, I just don't know about this, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. So a huge, um, there's a, a ton of questioning. When they make a decision, oftentimes they keep making the decision. So for some of us, we make a decision, we walk off and we go, okay. And if, we, if there was something wrong, we go, okay, all right, I learned from that. For sixes, it's a, man, did I really do the right thing there? Is it buyer's remorse or is it more than that? No, it's way more than that. It is a constant questioning, a questioning of uh, the solidity even of the universe. Um, uh, Who can be trusted? I can't be trusted. Can the universe be trusted? Can God be trusted? I mean, there's a a deep, powerful questioning about everything. And uh, So if you're in a relationship with someone like that, that feels... I mean, hearing you say that, I just like, oh man, that's a lot of work. It can be, but so uh, I've heard sixes describe love as consistency, loyalty. Okay, just keep showing up. Keep showing up, and sixes are really good at detecting somebody's BS. Oh. So you can't like they'll see through it. They'll know. They'll dig. They have a sense of that kind of stuff. They can sense danger. Um, they know when danger's coming. They plan for it. They prepare for it. They they know. And if you just keep showing up and you show up consistently and you're not blowing smoke and you just, hey, man, I, I like you. You're a good dude. I want to, you know, let's go have coffee the next day. Hey, how you doing? You know, so it doesn't have to be every day, but a consistent Got showing it. up, being present, being loyal. Over time. They when that happens and you're inside the six umbrella, they will do anything and they are the most loyal um, friend, partner, whatever it might be that you can imagine. Good. I love it. I love it. Um, Sevens. We talked about that a little bit already, but... Yeah, so, uh, you know, five, sixes, and sevens kind of have some fear underlying in their issues for type seven. Uh, it's it's a fear of constriction, a fear of of pain, mm. uh, an avoidance of of that pain, uh, which becomes problematic. They're sometimes referred to as a glutton, um, an adventurer. So sevens can have this uh, incredibly positive bend. Uh, nothing's really a failure. It's an opportunity. Um, 
if they are doing something that seems like it's about to get boring or about to fail, I'm just going to pivot and go on to the next thing that feels fun and enjoyable and excitement. So there's an avoidance of pain, an avoidance of this constriction, and a, a constant keeping open of options. Uh, it's really important for a seven to, to sit in the difficult, to, to uh, experience some of that and push through what could become dull, what could become boring, right? I mean, if you think about relationship, one of the ways I talk about this is a relationship, right? If I'm in a romantic relationship, those first six months, three months, whatever the duration is, it feels like euphoria. Sure, yeah. And we, for those of us who have been in longer relationships, we know that real beauty and real depth comes when we get past that. For sevens, that's kind of the story of life, right? I have to get, yeah. sevens will oftentimes just experience those first three and six months. Oh, wow. Right? So this, I'm looking for that. I wanna, I'm want i going to go find that. I'm going to go get that. Um, so What's the, the next best thing? Yeah. And and we, when we sit and walk through, get through those some of those things, uh, we really are able to experience the pain and the joy and and the whole kaleidoscope versus just continually looking for the. So if, if you're in a relationship with a seven, what's the best way to serve them? Uh, p- pain uh, to hold space, to, to allow them to experience the feeling, mm. be present to them, uh, not go anywhere, just sit with them. Let them yeah, experience it. Invite them into it almost. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know for me, I, I identify as a type seven. It's really important that I not get uh, shamed or or somebody try to fix it. Because yeah. that's what I've tried to do my entire life is fix it. Like fix it by going to find something that feels pleasurable. And instead, I, I need to experience it a little bit. I need to sit through it. I need to work through it. I love that. Yeah, I don't so much. <laughs> but and, and but that's been, you know, when I think about, for me personally, that's been probably one of the most powerful gifts of the Enneagram is to understand that was my motivation. My life was driven around not experiencing constriction or pain. Mm. And so when I recognized that and I could see the pattern of, oh, this isn't fun anymore. I'm going to go find something else. I'm going to go find something else. Obviously, there are times when things aren't working and I need to do something else. But I had to develop the muscle memory to say, okay, this isn't working. Do I need to go to something else or do I need to push through to get through the other side? Do I need to dig deeper? Do I need yeah. to dive in? Am I avoiding or right. or is it a boundary issue? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes good sense to me. Okay, let's talk about the eights. The eights. Um, the eights sometimes are called the boss. Right. Um, eights. Uh, have an underlying issue of anger. Uh, control and power are mm-hmm. really important to eights. Um, not so much that they are in control. Well, I say it. Not so much that they're in power, but I don't want to have anybody to have power or control over me. I want sure. to be in power and control of myself. And eights uh, oftentimes hide a really vulnerable interior with a strong kind of don't mess with me exterior yeah uh, energetically large presence for eights like when eights walk into a room typically 
everybody recognizes that an eight just walked into a room, mm. right? They, they have an energetically large presence. People uh, know when they're there. I've watched eights who, like, they raise an eyebrow and people sit back in their chairs. <laughs> right? They just have that sure. kind of yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's a presence, right? Yeah. Um, they can be seen as a bully. Yeah. Push people around. Um, they're not afraid of conflict. Uh, the woman I study the Enneagram with, she likes to say that eights either run a company or they're in prison. <laughs> and <laughs> there is some truth. There's a lot sure, of really, sure. right? Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, historical figures, but like Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther yeah. King was an eight. So is Joseph Stalin. Wow. Uh, you know, as a, as Gulf War era kind of guy, yeah. you know, Norman Schwarzkopf, he was an eight. General George Patton, they're eights, right? Sure. These big, yeah. big, strong, larger than life, larger than life uh, personas. Um, and it, right, all of us have that uh, propensity or ability for it to be used for good or not. For eights, a lot of times it can be <clears throat> black and white. So if you're in a relationship with an eight. Uh, and I have a lot of opinions about this. Because <laughs> if you're in a relationship with an eight, what's the the best thing you can give them besides everything that they want? <laughs> besides everything they want. Uh, in relationship with an eight, you uh, need to recognize that really soft inside. Mm. And uh, recognize that the exterior gruff um, can is hiding that really soft interior. Uh, eights don't take a lot of things personally, right? Conflicts is just a, like you said, it's just part of life. Uh, understand that standing your ground with an eight is 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 good. It's okay to say this is this is who I am and this is where I am, and not allow yourself to get run over, and not let allow them to run you over, but to to hold on to what matters to you, and 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 hold space and nurture that you know, really soft inside. Yeah, one of the things I found in studying all of this about myself is that I um, really enjoy, I really need people to be brutally honest with me, yeah. even if it's not what I want to hear, yeah. that that brutal honesty is so, such a gift to me and it makes me feel like you love me. Yeah, so we, you know, we talked about the bullhorn. Right. Right, when in the one, we talk in the little end and it comes out really loud. For an eight, we're talking in the big end and we're screaming, stop this, this is crazy, you're not, I mean, you're being ab an absolute bully. And it whispered in the eight's ear is, hey, maybe there's something I should consider thinking about <laughs> it being a small little issue, right? right? right. So, um, yeah. That's great. That's great. Uh, okay, nines. This and this one's super important because my wife identifies as a nine. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've taken all the notes. Nines. Uh, I, uh, how did I? I'm trying to think of the words sometimes people use for nine. Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Moderator. Yeah. It's moderator. The one that... Yeah. Um, sometimes they can look like type two, but the motivation is different. Mm. Um, type twos uh, blend in. Yeah. Uh, they do, for sure they put everybody else's needs first. Uh, it can be exhausting for a nine to kind of be the moderator, the peacemaker, and 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 sense everybody else's needs. I'll, I'll, they also have a difficult time uh, finding out what they need, what's okay. important to them. Uh, but they're not actively like a two. Yeah, two's trying to serve. A right. nine's not necessarily looking. Just trying to, to make the 
Yeah, we're just trying peace. to make everything peaceful. Um, they also have an underlying sense of anger. There's mm. anger under underlying the nine, and it it kind of comes out in little spurts. Um, I've heard nines talk about you know if I'm upset with somebody at work, I'll still do what they want, but I might drag it out just a little bit. Okay. Some passive aggressive. Um, My wife is more aggressive, aggressive. Okay. So she may have a little. She's a nine wing eight. Yeah. 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 So a little more of that eight flavor. Uh, Nines tend to be a little more, you know, kind of passive aggressive. Sure. Um, I'd not ever met a nine I didn't think was nice. Oh. Nines are really nice people. Mm. They're really good listeners because they're really good at, at. Hearing both sides of the discussion, all sides, right, and yeah. all sides of discussion. You know, nines can be incredible leaders. Uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, a type nine. Hmm. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, type nine. So they can have a really strong resoluteness, but they also, you know, nine. You, you know, the the book uh, written about Lincoln uh, on leadership and. I forget the title of the book, but essentially he filled his cabinet with people who didn't agree with him, yeah. who were different than him. And he was able to take in all of the various opinions, thoughts, positions, and find a way forward. And that's a hallmark of a nine, that ability to find common ground. They can lose themselves, though, in oh. that. And that's where a nine needs to, <clears throat> similar to a two, find what matters to them and then stick to it yeah and so then the gift is is similar in the sense that to help them I- identify what they need in that process yeah that's yeah. good you know a, a, a nine uh let's say a nine mom uh you know who who does everything she can for everybody else that doesn't get her nails done or doesn't take time to get her hair done or you know take time to experience her friends or in something that she likes to do she's always trying to please somebody else um you know a, a type nine father same thing i do everything for everybody else except for me and and at times they'll narc out then they'll find a way to veg out to check out to kind of uh just veg in order to kind of recharge because they get exhausted taking care of everybody else's needs. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And, and you know what? My wife's a project manager, and so she's uh, she's yeah. perfect <laughs> at it. And she's an incredible leader in that sense that she she listens to both sides and then and then does usually find a way to make it work. And I'm like, babe, just tell them. Just tell them. right. Yeah. Just tell them we're like, this, gonna this be. way That's, we're going to do I'm it. Just yeah. not even, I don't understand. Yeah. Why do you care what that person right. thinks? <laughs> not, so in nines, it can be really difficult to have a direct conversation with somebody mm. they will you know when you add i have found i'll be talking to a nine so a little insight hey how do you feel about doing this it's fine that really means i don't like that idea at all i mean that yeah uh, a lot of times that for yeah. a nine that will be the case because they do not want to upset somebody they want to have peace it's okay can i tell you a secret that uh it's not really a secret but sometimes my, uh, my, I'll say, uh, where do you want to go to dinner? And my wife will say, I don't care. And then I purposely pick places that I know she hates to eat at to make her sure pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. But that's a <laughs> jerk move. Jerk move. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I, you know, you gotta, yeah. But that is, it is, um, 
that's a, a that's a perfect yeah. example. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. It's good. Okay, so uh, those are the nine types. What else do we need to know about the Enneagram it, for uh, for relationships, like for spousal relationships and for work relationships? Because I think if if you really dive into this stuff and it doesn't even have to be a deep dive. It can be a shallow dive because this hole goes very deep. It's, yes. I mean, it's expansive. Um, what, what do we need to know about spousal relationships and work relationships? I would say first focus on yourself. Okay. Understand yourself. When, you, when we understand ourselves uh, and our motivations, our habitual patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving, that, and w- when the focus starts there, then we can begin to unpack and understand relationship with others. Mm. So, uh, you know, at work, if you've gone through an Enneagram training and you know your coworkers types, you can begin to have conscious conversation about that and lay it out. Hey, I was thinking about this and I recognize that as a seven, I didn't, you know, blah, blah, whatever it might be. The other person might respond, oh, you know, when I heard you say this, you know, I was reacting in my habitual pattern and this is what I heard. You can have those conscious conversations. But if you don't have that, you just got to focus on yourself. You got to focus on your own uh, piece. If you're in relationship, your your partner has, uh, has an understanding of their type. I think it can be a really great conversation starter or opportunity to use the tool to say, hey, when we went to our financial planner, uh, I was, you know, if I'm a type six, I was just scared. We're going to run out of money. We're not going to have enough. Whatever it it may be, uh, that constant questioning. I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if these is, this is the right mix. I don't know, right? And and the the three is we need to make a decision. We need to get going. Yeah. You know, stop. Let's stop ruminating on this. Let's go. So, understanding those those opposing motivations can help you find and bridge and at least have honest conversation, open conversation, and listen to the nuance, right? I just said to you, when your wife says, I don't care, she does care. And you're poking the bear. She always cares. Right, yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't, you know, she wants to keep peace. So when we recognize that, we can begin to step outside of our own type, our own habitual, and begin to understand what others... So as, as we work on ourselves, let's say that we're, we, we do a little bit of study here, we read a couple books, and, and, and we feel like we're waffling between two numbers. Like one person says we're a seven, one, I mean, one, one time we feel like a seven, one time we feel like a three or a two or a nine, and you, you know, some of those numbers feel pretty close, right? An eight and a three sometimes. Yep. Um, how do we know which number, and I'm going to use air quotes because uh, they work so well on podcasts, is right? Motivation. Okay. The underlying motivation. So when, how, how do we assess our own motivation in this process? It's kind of, it can be tricky. Yeah. Right? Because it's easy for us to fool ourselves on what, why we're really doing something. So sometimes trusted friends can help in that space. Somebody who, you know, has been with us a while knows kind of some of the habitual stuff we have done. Sure. Can help. An accountability of, partner. An accountability partner right. can help poke on that a little bit. But if we are honest with ourselves about our motivation, that's usually the, the key insight. So for the difference between an eight and a three, which can look alike, is the three is going to say, yeah, I really do this for my image. Mm. I really do this to 
you know, project an image of success, to be seen as an achiever. Whereas the eight is saying, man, I just don't want anybody to control me. I need to have the power here. I need to be in charge. Right. Right. The three wants to be in charge because they want to be seen as successful. They want to be the CEO because they want to be seen as successful. They've achieved the status. The eight's like, man, I just want to be in control. <laughs> I, I want to have power here. Right? right. So when we understand that motivation, it it helps. Both, by the way, threes and eights are both very active types. Right. Yeah. They go, 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 go. There's sure. not a, a lot. Of, so that's why sometimes they can be seen as similar. Because they're going. Well, a lot of the three resonates with sure. things that, like, I'm super competitive yeah. and, like, I, you know, the best way to get me to, to do something is tell me I can't do it, yes. or, you know, right. and, and, like, so, the, but the motivation is the key, I think. Yeah. It yeah. is the key. Um, so, I, I do, I am curious about how our Enneagrams play out in our relationship with God. Mm. Because, because, I mean, the reality is if our habitual patterns show up with all the people in our life, then, then they're going to show up with God. In your experience, at the level whichever you feel comfortable answering, uh, how, how do we navigate our Enneagram type in our relationship with God? Uh, the, you know, uh, it starts with uh, awareness. Mm. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> I think I have a couple of things that I caveat this with, that I'm not God. Right. I'm one. glad you. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and that the wholeness in, in if I'm going to interact with with God, um, understanding I'm not, and understanding that I have a habitual way of behaving, mm-hmm. a hip, habitual way of thinking, and that is going to be the kind of the how I interact but begin to again explore that oneness that that wholeness of that <clears throat> it's okay for me to have my own internal power it's good for me to have an internal moral compass compass it's good for me and god has this beautiful uh giving this achieving this depth and breadth of emotion and feeling this intellectual side this questioning side this fun adventurous spirited side all of these this peacemaker that i can explore all of those as i see god experience god relate to god relate to his creation my fellow beautiful yeah yeah well i think it's such a important reminder is that if you can remember how big god is then then you're not going to give god like if god starts to look like an eight all the time that, yeah. That's probably more of a Tony problem than it is a God problem, which is almost always the case. Right. And, and you know, I, my own, we put our own filter and lens on God. So God always, for me, looked like a specific thing. Mm. I, I related to God as a God that there were rules that I needed to follow. And as a seven, I didn't really want to follow the rules. I didn't really want to. And so I struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And when I recognize that that's not how this rolls, this, you know, I, I can't comprehend the wholeness of God. So yeah, allowing for that space to say, man, I, I'm here. I have, you know, the pin size view of what God, the universe, the whole is. How do I help expand that to just say, here I am. 
how do I create that relationship? How do I, you know, what's the, the, the openness to, to experience that? Cause I only, I experience that, you know, my Enneagram type, um, is it, it, it limits my ability to experience life. When I am in my type, I am limited in what I experience in relationship with God, in relationship with people, with my wife, at work, all of those things. When I am aware of the pattern of my Enneagram type, of my personality, then I'm able to experience things as they are, mm. not as I want them to be. Right? This, this notion that we, we believe what we see, no, we see what we believe. I, you know, when I'm in my type, sure. I see what my type wants me to see. It's the lens. Yeah. It's the lens. It's just the lens. That's great. That's great. So I, I know that there's somebody who's on the treadmill right now and they're listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing stuff. Where would you tell my listeners to start when it comes to exploring the Enneagram? What resource are you like, this is the one that's got to get in your hand and we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, I, I'll, I'll list a couple. Okay. Um, from a from a professional standpoint, you know the work I do. You can go to consciousdynamicsllc.com. Okay. Uh, you can take a test there. You can find how to get in touch with me with the other uh, consultants in our practice. Consciousdynamicsllc.com. There is an Enneagram school located in Cincinnati area. Oh. Called go. Con it's called the Conscious Living Center. It's goconscious.com. Okay. Um, another good one is the Enneagram Institute. Uh, was founded by Russ Hudson and Don sure. Rizzo. Uh, really great material there, place to explore. Um, the International Enneagram Association. Um, I forget the website name, but I'll, I'll we'll, get it we'll to look you. It up. Yeah, yeah we'll but look if you up. just Google Enne International Enneagram Association, there's a lot of really good information. And it's a good launch pad to find resources around the world. That's incredible. Good, 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 good. Okay, so the last question I yeah. always love to yeah. ask my guests is uh, you've done, over the years, you've done a lot of, of just self-awareness training. And so if you were gonna go back and talk to David as he gets ready to enlist in the army, right? if you're gonna go back and give yourself one piece of advice, knowing all everything you know now after all the years, which you just turned 50, so happy birthday, by Thank the you. way. Yeah. And now the whole world knows. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> um, if you were gonna go back and give young, private David one piece of advice, what would it be? You're okay. Mm. You're okay. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I love it. And, you know, there's probably somebody out there that needs to hear that today. You're okay. Yeah. You're okay just the way you are. Just the way you are. Just the way you are. And you all don't the need anything on the outside. You're okay. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Tony. For taking the time today. Uh, are you social media? Are you on any of the the interwebs? Yeah, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Sharp nineteen sixty nine. Good. We'll look, we'll link to it all in the yep. show notes. And uh, thank you for the gift of your time and your wisdom today. And um, I can't wait to see uh, how this continues to impact people and and see you do your work, man. Appreciate Thanks, it. Tony. Thanks, brother. Well, guys, that does it for another episode of the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited that you got to hear this incredible conversation with David. I know he blessed you as much as he blessed me. What I appreciated about David's approach is that he took a very kind of pragmatic, tool-based look at the Enneagram. 
Uh, I encourage you to check them out on the interwebs. Check them out uh, wherever you uh, look for Enneagram stuff, Conscious Dynamics Living. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. Uh, Another book that I recommend is The Road Back to You by Susan Stabio. We read that as a staff team. So good. Uh, There's so many researchers out there right now because it's such a popular topic. So uh, I hope you enjoy. And uh, until next week, continue uh, leaning in, making good practices to uh, balance faith and life.